Moto Spot Show. We are back. What's up, everybody? I'm excited for this episode. We, it's episode nine of the Moto Spot Show. It's been a fun run, everybody, and we can't thank you guys enough. Huge thanks to our sponsors, Spot Network TV, Motion Pro, Works Connection, Bell Ray, and Scott Goggles. We're super excited to uh, have those guys on board, and thank you to, the, to them for coming on board with the Moto Spot Show. Again, Spot Network TV, the fastest growing streaming service in the industry. Make sure to check them out on the Spot Network app. And, uh, you know, if action sports, fitness, whatever you need, go check those out. You can also download this show. So huge thanks to Spot Network for doing that. Well, guys, I'm excited. We're on episode nine. It's blown by pretty fast. So today's guest has been been in the industry for a long time, and he's got some knowledge that I'm excited to bring to you guys. Hopefully we don't uh, get in too much trouble with uh, my show, and we have some fun. I'm excited. He's been wrenching for as, almost as long as I've been born, and he's been uh, in the industry. He also owns a moto parts trader, and he's now the uh, factory mechanic for Dean Wilson. It's the one and only Damon Cockright. What's up, buddy? How are you? What's up, Justin? What's going on? Dude, another day. Um, I'm excited, man. I really appreciate you making the time for us. Nah, no worries. I'm stoked to be on the show, dude. It's going to be fun. Yeah, we've we've chatted for a little bit, and funny story, we've only met through text. We've never actually met in person, so um, I'm excited to do this show. It's going to be a first time for me to do a show with somebody that I don't have like a full-blown relationship, but in our two weeks of knowing each other, I feel like we've uh, connected pretty well. Yeah, yeah, you're going to learn a lot more now here in the next hour, so sit back. <laughs> yeah, it's like a blind date over the phone. We're uh, we're taking corona, <laughs> corona COVID to the full extreme. Yeah, yep. So now I'm excited. Uh, I had a mutual friend that we know text me. I asked him, hey, what's a funny story about Damon? He's like, ask him about Frank Rizzo. And I was like, Frank Rizzo from the Jerky Boys? He's like, yeah. I was like, all right, I'll ask him, so... Uh, I was like, man, I can only imagine the prank calls you guys probably uh, have done over there at uh, where you work. Yeah, so um, for, it's been a while, but we were getting bored at lunch when we were all sitting there. And so uh, the way it started was a friend of mine was call, wanted to buy a boat. And he's like, hey, can you call this guy and pretend like you want to buy the boat because I want to know what it's like. So you ask him some questions, and I'm going to call him and see what he says to me. And I'm like, yeah, no problem. So I call him, and then right off the bat, I just start off with this New York accent. <laughs> and uh, it just and I started asking questions about boats. I don't know anything about boats, but uh, mm-hmm. I asked a couple questions before. And then uh, I'm like, all right, so what's up with this boat? He's telling me all about it. And then um, it turns out he had a new skag on it. And the skag is the part that comes down from the bottom of the outboard of the prop. And it, it, and I was like, hey, so tell me about the boat here. And he's like, oh, it's great. It's never had any accidents. And it's, you know, it's barely been in the water. It's only got a few hours on it. And I'm like, well, if it's got a new skag, what, what the heck, what's that for? Y'all hitting rocks and tree stumps with it? What the hell's going on? Are you trying to pull a fast one on me? And then... <laughs> And then everybody starts laughing. So then I just, it just turned into a prank call. Before we knew it, the guy was pissed off at me and wanted to know what the hell I was doing, calling from LA phone number with a New York accent. And it just, uh, like, it went on from there. We, <laughs> yeah, forget about it. Yeah. And, we, <laughs> and we kept doing them after that. It, it's been a lot of fun. The boys love it at the shop. Yeah, that's kind of, you know, a way for everybody to bond. Sometimes the job of being a mechanic and, and all that gets super serious. So I bet that's for a way for you guys to unwind and have a little fun and uh, kind of bring your relationships all together. It, yeah, it does. Because uh, 
what we do is pretty stressful. You got a lot of responsibility. You got, you know, someone else's life in your hands on that motorcycle. And it's nice to have a little fun here and there. And it's good to have all the boys, you know, get a good laugh once in a while. And that's definitely one way to do it. Yeah, I, I would have to say for our industry is, you know, one of the probably the best ones to work with. But sometimes you have those days where you're like, man, it just you have to unwind and, and just look back and re- and reflect. So I can uh, I can definitely see you guys just having fun like that and kind of the chemistry just gets stronger. And I've heard on multiple shows, too, like, you know, a lot of people say if I had to work on one team, Husky seems like the one to work for. It seems like you guys just have a really good laid back, fun atmosphere over there with, with everybody. Oh, we do. We we give each other a tough time all day. It's like a comedy show, and when we're talking smack in there, and it's 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 uh it's your stomach sore sometimes. Your face hurts from laughing so goddamn hard. Just a big brotherly love. You guys need like a reality TV. You need like uh somebody to come in and just film like a TV series with all you guys. Oh, we've talked about. It. I think it'd be great. <laughs> I feel like sponsors would be lost probably. They probably like, yeah, we know we don't we don't want to cover this anymore. Those guys are a little uh, little rough around the edges, and we don't really support that kind of talk. Yeah, it's like a full blown <laughs> episode of waiting, just a bat wing. Oh, <laughs> it's it's unreal. It's oh, a lot of fun. That's awesome. Well, let's uh, let's dive into this episode again, guys. Thank you again for listening to the Moto Spot Show here on Spot presented to you by Spot Network TV. Um, we are really excited. We got Damon Conkright. Is it Conkright? Is that, am I saying it right? That's right. He is the factory Husky mechanic for Dean Wilson, who just got signed again for the 2021 Supercross season. I bet you guys are excited to to go back to the racing together and have some fun. Oh yeah, I love working with Dean. He's a blast. He's he's a he's really funny, and he's really fast too. So um, there's, there's a double perch to that. You could get a guy who's fast, doesn't say anything, or you can get a guy who's not so fast and it's funny, but I got a little bit of both. So it makes racing going. It's fun even on and off the bike and on and off the track. Yeah, for sure. And he seems like he's more of a laid back, laid back guy and kind of, you know, he could tell you what he wants, but he doesn't tell you how he wants it. Like in a dickish mood, he kind of is like, you know, seems like he has fun with it. And, and he's like, Hey, like this is messed up or this is messed up. And you guys can, bond together and get it fixed where some guys are like here's here's the damn motorcycle fix it i'm going inside the hauler <laughs> the only thing he gets pissed about is if you fuck up on his lap times or uh something like that or don't tell him what lap he's on he gets pretty fired up it's pretty funny he's just yelling when he's on the, in the air it's pretty funny that's awesome i feel like you'd have to almost mess with him sometimes just just to get him riled oh <laughs> uh, <laughs> but yeah you don't want to yeah, piss off I your can- rider for sure Oh no, but that's like if I forget a last time, he gets he gets really high, comes back in, and he's like, "What is it?" I'm like, oh, "I missed it again." He's like, <laughs> but we usually, we, I got it, but it's just fun to do it too. He's like two times in a row, he'll yell at somebody. I told you to get it. Yeah, I missed it too. He just messes with them. Goes back to whatever. Yeah, about just a second ago, just kind of having fun. Yeah, you got it, man. We're we're together a lot. You're together with your team and your your rider on the weekends more than you are your own family, but not so much with the rider nowadays because a lot of them do train out of, uh, out of state. But when yeah. you're in California, I mean, you're around them. That's you're around them more than your family. You see your family at night and you see them in the morning and then that's it. Yeah. It seems like you're with from what I've, that's your other family. okay. That makes sense. Yeah. It seems like from what I've heard or seen in the industry, your guys' work weeks are, 60 hour 70 hour work weeks it seems like and it's uh, a lot of 14 15 hour days if not more oh yeah oh yeah 
That's for sure. We, we, we always travel together. You got to eat together. It's like, it's literally like a family. It's like being a, it's like when you're a child, you got to go wherever your parents take you. And that's how it is for the team. It's like, you don't have to go, but if you want to eat out or if you do want to go eat dinner, like you got to get in the car and everybody's kind of got to like agree to go to one spot and it's, everybody's got to meet at the one time to go get in the car. Cause it's not like everybody has their own rental cars. And if, you know, one guy wants to go fishing, then, you know, you got to make it to where that guy can go fishing. Or if one guy wants to go on a bike ride or or, or everybody wants to go, there's a lot of logistics. Just in, uh, what we do when we're not even racing, it's pretty funny. So do you guys have like a, like a team, like calendar or like a, like a team chat? Like, I don't even know how you would organize all that. It just sounds stressful. Oh, so, well, Murph has uh, a really bitching calendar for us. He's a race coordinator. Yeah. He does a good job with that. It's pretty damn organized. It tells you who's on what flight, who's got a rental car. It's very organized. He does a hell of a job. And then um, Scuba sends out a group text every night before a race, every, you know, before every um, practice, you know, every practice. I'm talking like on race weekends, like when yeah. it comes to what time we're going to go to the track for setup and what time we're supposed to do that there's a group text everybody's on it and then if it's gonna be you know some guys are pretty consistent about not going out so they'll be like a little bit shorter text um of who wants to, but usually you use the same text feed that has everybody on it say like, hey we're all gonna we're, we're gonna meet down at six o'clock in the lobby to go to you know longhorns for okay you know whatever it may yeah. be so Murph, so Murph is like big time over there. Like he, he's the dad of the whole family. He oversees a lot of stuff. It's like he, yeah, I thought he did, but I didn't know it was like that extreme. Yeah, he does a lot. And it's funny is like, like he he can work on a motorcycle. Oh yeah, too. yeah. Like yeah, some, yeah. sometimes he'll come over there and get his hands dirty, and he's got skills. Yeah, he's not scared to hop in. I've seen him at races and stuff, and you know, unload like whatever he needs to do. He's in there. He's he's not scared to get his hands dirty. No, he's great. Yeah, kind of goes back to what we said before. The chemistry of the team just seems like it's it's above all, and um, I think that just brings a lot of success. What brings a lot of your guys' success is it's uh, everybody's a family over there, and I know some teams it's it's not like that. So I think for you guys, it's only gonna be a better year in twenty twenty one, and who knows what success you'll have with the lineup you have because you guys have some really strong strong lineup this year. We got a, we got a sick four fifty program. Like, yeah. I still can't believe that we got those dudes. <laughs> on one team and i'm just like this is kind of almost stupid it's so good well I was, it's like who allowed this you know what i mean like who allows a factory team to have three of the fastest riders in the 450 program on one under 110 like yeah. i mean it, it, it showed at the last race what we could do like to think that that's not going to happen again would be pretty crazy yeah, I think the Husky team is going to be it's it's almost like we I kind of wish we had what Formula 1 had and had like the team championship too cuz I feel like your guys is your you guys are really strong this year. Thanks. Yeah, it looks that way and I I think it will be. I mean, there's going to be some other guys that are fast, but I mean that's just the 450 program. They're all good. Yeah, I was looking at that earlier and talking with somebody uh, I think like a couple weeks ago or something. It's, I think 14 dudes including uh like Rocky Mountain and stuff. Maybe fourteen or fifteen dudes are on factory equipment. Like that's yeah, pretty and gnarly. A lot of champions, and a lot of them have won races. There's not very many who haven't that are going to be in the top twenty at the end of the series. Yeah, 
Yeah, it's uh, it's probably going to be a really good yeah. season, and I think for us, it's going to be good because we're going to get a lot of racing this year. That's pretty the same racing, but just faster racing with the with this new schedule. And speaking yeah. of, speaking of that schedule, kind of you know talk this through us. I mean, again, you haven't done this schedule yet. Well, I guess you kind of did in Salt Lake with the Saturdays and Wednesdays, but for you, for you, in the off season right now, what's kind of like a work week for you look like? Okay, so right now we are in, like, preparation mode. Uh, the riders are all in uh, Florida right now, so we're not that busy. But if they were, we'd be extremely busy because when they're in town, you got to go with your rider to the track. you got your regular routine of, you know, go to the track, go with them, come back, wash the bike, prep it for the next day, 450s eat up tires. You're going through a tire a day on the rear, sometimes two. And you know you got to pump fuel. You got to keep the sprinter clean. You got to sweep up the mud where we're at because you got to roll the bikes to a wash bay area. So um, that's just the practice portion of it. But then you got your preparation for the 2021 season, which is building parts for your bike as they come in. Because it's not like the parts come in in September and you can start whittling them them away as you get there sometimes you can but most of the time your stuff doesn't show up till december so you're waiting for stuff to go and you're prepping and then you have like a lot of stuff laid out because the things you're prepping are missing another piece and you can't finish it so you kind of got stuff a little bit scattered in a sense we're or just like half done so like we just got our hubs in this week so now all of a sudden everybody's building wheels so they're taking turns using the truing stand and then, uh, you know, it, this is just, that's just an example of stuff that shows up. It just kind of comes in slowly. And then you got the, the factory parts that come from Austria. They got to go through customs. Everything's slowed down since the COVID. So that stuff's delayed. We're still waiting on parts. I mean, we could build bikes, but we're just, you know, we're waiting for the, the newer stuff to come in that, um, that we're not going to the line with anything used. Right. But yeah. And as that, far as kinda... the week, work week goes, it's just everybody's prepping. Like you start building extra seats, extra plastic, you know, extra wheels, um, brakes. Um, yeah. The other thing that's big for everybody right now too is there's preparation at home because you start traveling all the time. You don't have time to take care of stuff at your house or your home that you normally would if you were home every weekend. So you got to make sure like, all right, did I prepare my yard? You know, cause you're going into winter. So you have to like, kind of winterize your, if you have property or you know your vehicles you got to make sure you're, you're on top of your game you get tires you got to make sure your wife's car's got tires and your family's going to be good while you're gone so you got to like get it make sure you got both campuses ready to rock because yeah. when you hit the road like you're done i swear every time i leave that's when something goes wrong every time never fails it's like when i leave that's when the battery and the smoke detector goes out. So this year, I'm already changing batteries in the smoke detectors. So it's like anything you can think of that would go wrong, it goes wrong while you're on the road. Your <laughs> wife gets a flat tire, um, a light burns out at the hut somewhere, or some, you know, something stupid, a water line breaks. I mean, you just got to try to do everything you can to prevent it all so you don't have to deal with it over the phone. Yeah, and like you're like, what can I do? I'm, you know, 2,000 miles away getting ready to go to the main event. Like, I can't help you. Like, I'm sorry. Oh, yeah, you exactly. Yeah. Like, that's crazy. I, I never really thought about that side of it. So that's pretty nuts. Like, to kind yeah, of I mean, even your checklist. travel, 
yeah, your like your stuff that you travel with, like your toiletries and stuff. Like I go stock up on a lot of small portions of it so I can just grab it and go because I don't want to go shopping when I get to another town, you know, or have to go to a Walmart or a Target to go buy something. And then you come out with a bunch of shit you don't need. So, um, you just stock up on all that stuff you would need, like your little shampoos, your little toothpaste, your little stuff. Cause you know, you can't travel with a whole lot of stuff nowadays. So you just, uh, yeah, laundry. I mean, it's a, Race season is, is pretty wild, what we do. Yeah. And then when it slows down, you feel like everything just, you're like, whoa. You're almost bored. You're, or was, you probably are bored. You're just like, uh, tweet on your thumbs. What do I do? Oh, uh, when I first started doing this, um, when the season would be over, I'd be, I was like gutted, just like heartbroken. I'm like, dude, what am I going to do? Like, the party's over. The tour's over. Like, what? Like, now what? I got to go home or, like, what am I going to do during the weekend? Like, I was, I would get bored yeah. in my 20s. So I loved racing. I was like, I couldn't, I never wanted to stop. Yeah, you're almost like, it It almost goes, everything almost slows down. Like, it seems like when you're racing and whatever it is, 32 weeks out of the year, um, it's just like, holy crap. And then just turns off. And then, like you said, then the off season starts again. But still, even during off season, it's probably not as hectic as race season. Oh, I know for sure it's not as hectic as race season. No. So... Yeah, no, I can only not. imagine how that would go. Yeah, it's wild. Yeah, I mean, but you get used to it after a while. Yeah, and I think it, it's one of those things where you just adapt and and kind of like you just said, you prepare, you do it for so many years. Like you know, if you get somebody new that's coming in, that's a first time mechanic, they're probably like, you guys probably just look back, and I would say laugh at it, but you almost have that memory of you when you were them. You're like, dude, I remember that when I forgot this or forgot that because I was running like a chicken with my head cut off. Oh yeah, I mean back. I mean everybody. I've heard everyone do it over a period of my life. To this is that they got to go home and do laundry. Yeah, like I gotta go. I, I like my clothes are like I got two weeks of clothes that are dirty. I got nothing to wear the next race. Or then you're like bringing dirty clothes to a round because you forgot to do it. So you're washing at the hotel. It's it's <laughs> it happens. It definitely happens. <laughs> For sure. Yeah, like, like I said earlier, it's just your guys' work weeks are so so long and. The last thing you want to do is go to a Walmart and try to find something to buy or get toiletries or whatever. And I mean, you can always do the Jason Wagon approach and just take all the shampoos and everything and load up. But, um, but yeah, I just, yeah, I, I couldn't, uh, I couldn't imagine that. I just, I get anxiety just taking one bag once or twice a year when you guys are doing it every weekend. I feel like I'd be forgetting shit all the time. Oh yeah. Now, so what I do now is I just, I leave this. It literally leave the same clothes in the bag. I come home, throw the whole bag in the washing machine, wash it, fold it up, and stick the exact same load right back in the bag. <laughs> Just makes that, it easy. And any, yeah, because the only only time that it doesn't work is if like I mix it up with another load on top, and then I got problems. But yeah, um, forget a team shirt. That's you're like, Shit. Oh yeah, then I'm like Murph, dude. I need to borrow a shirt because we're the same size. Perfect. That's awesome. So let's. Uh, he's like, what the fuck? Yeah, yeah. He's like, again, he's that dad. He's like, God damn it, Damon. Oh, he is such a dad for the riders. It's unbelievable. He's like, he takes care of those guys so much. That's awesome. Um, so let's talk a little bit about you. Like I said in the beginning of the show, you've been in the industry for a long, long time. Um, looks like you started back in '02. It looks like, and just been doing yep. it for a long time. So, for you, um, where did it all start, and what kind of made you want to become a mechanic? in the industry. 
So I actually did a senior project in high school, and in that, for that senior project, you're supposed to pick something that they say that what you you would want to do, and then it's supposed to be a career. You go out and experience it, and then you come back and you 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 do a paper, you do a report on it, and you report back to like your findings and if you think it's possible, what kind of income. So, anyways. I chose, I'm like, you know, I want to race motorcycles. So I didn't know, I didn't know anything about it. My parents didn't um, know anything about it either. And then I met Steve Mertens through his cousin because we went to high school together. And his cousin was older than me. He's like, oh, my cousin Steve's, you know, he's a teenager. He'll kick your ass. And I'm like, yeah, right, whatever. So then I go meet him and the kid rips. So then we become friends, and then I, I buy a bike from them, and then his parents were really awesome. They took me to the races. I didn't even have a truck. So I bought a bike from okay. them. They let, me, they let me keep it at their ranch because we rode at the ranch quite a bit. And then his dad's like, well, you got your license. Why don't you take Steve to the ra- you know, practicing? So I don't. So then, you know, I'm taking Steve practicing. We're driving to Marysville. It's like a good hour and a half drive each way. We're doing that once a week, you know, sporadically because yeah. I also had to go to, I had a, after, after school, I had a job as well. So I had to maintain my after school job and go to school and, you know, try racing a little anyways. Um, so you've been doing, had, you've been I, doing I, 40 I, hour weeks before you're even yeah. adult. <laughs> yeah. Dude, and you make all that money. And then like, if you blew your bike up, your paycheck wasn't even enough for a cylinder. So it's like, it takes like a month to get your bike fixed. But anyways, uh, that was that's how I got into it, and then uh, he ended up getting a factory. Before that, which was this is kind of funny. We used to always watch Krusty Demons dirt videos. Oh yeah. Uh, one of my my friend Pat Allen used to always have like a little party at his house, and we'd always play those videos all the time. And so we happened to go to the MGM in 2001 for the U.S. Open, and. I'm not even a mechanic yet. I'm just literally just walking down the tunnel back, you know, back into the, from the, this where the stadium is. And there's a Krusty's three premiere. There's a sign out says the Krusty's three premiere. And I'm like, Oh dude, how cool that'd be to go in there. And my, one of my friends is like, I'm going to ask that guy for tickets. I'm like, you're an idiot. He's not going to give us tickets. <laughs> he's like, fuck that. I'm going to ask him. So I think it was Dana Nicholson was staying in there. He's like, Hey, what's up Dana? You got any extra tickets? He's like, yeah, man. How many? He's like three. So yeah. And I'm like, I'm like, oh my God. You're like, we're getting in. I'm like, oh my. Yeah. What's that? I said, you're like, we're getting in. We're in. Yeah. I'm like, we're in. We're in. I think I'm like 20 years old. And uh, we go in there. We sit down. And my buddy Vince is getting drinks for us. And it is the coolest experience ever. We're in there. I mean, these chicks are all these dudes that are in there. Like, everybody that was in those videos are in there. They got this sick hair. They got these fucking rad suits on they got these hot ass chicks and i'm like this is this is awesome yeah you're this like, is how, for me how did the, and you're in vegas too so you're like oh my this is like the all-time like store trip like this is you're like holy shit yeah i'm like holy shit and i'm like literally like walk we're, we're going and he my buddy's getting us drinks and we're drinking in there and then the video comes on and it's super loud and it's the sound system incredible it was like it was the coolest, one of the coolest experiences ever. That's amazing. And I was like, I was like, this party, I just, dude, everybody's partying in there, and I'm like, this is for me. This is what I want to do. 
Yeah, I mean, you're 20 years old, so you're like, holy shit, we're drinking. We're at a crusty demon party in Vegas. Like, who would ever thought? Yeah, I'm like, this is unreal. And then, so anyway, so Steve had, at that point, had landed a factory Husqvarna ride. And later, he asked me if I would be his mechanic. And so, at first, I was like, you know, I'm going to stay home, and I'm going to work at this motor shop. I'm going to buy it and grow up. And then his dad's like, dude, you're an idiot. You need to go. Yeah, like go go and have so, these life experiences. Yeah, and I was he's like, "What are you worried about?" I'm like, "I'm afraid I'm not gonna have a job when I get home." And he's like, "Dude, I will give you a job here at the dairy. You need to take this opportunity." And I was like, "Okay." I remember like yesterday we were sitting on the porch at their house, and it was and I was like, "Dude," and then that was it right there. Yeah, you have those moments in life where you're like, you kind of look back and reflect, and you're like, "Holy moly!" Like, who would ever thought if I didn't take the the leap of faith? Where would I be now? So I could definitely re- react to that for sure. I still the up for a shot. I don't know. Yeah. And I mean, yeah. like, and like yeah. you said, you're from NorCal. I'm from NorCal. So you grew up in Nor- Sonoma. Yep. There's not a whole lot going on in Sonoma. No. We had Infineon. It was Sears Point Raceway at the time, and it turned yep. into Infineon. But there was drag racing. But that was pretty much it. There was nothing for kids to do. We we drove around with like shotguns and we shot rabbits and in the vineyards. And that was pretty fun. We had, that was that was a pretty cool good time. We do that on the weekends and go to the bar and or go out to some loading dock, do some donuts in the car, go back to the bar, go back shoot some more rabbits. It was fun. And then that was it. Yeah, but, I mean, it would be one of those things where you're that either was it. that was it. Yeah, you're either working at the muffler shop or you're trying to get into the wine industry. There's there's not a whole lot of options. Straight up. There's not a whole lot yeah. of options up there. Yeah. I didn't uh, want to pick grapes. No. I mean, you can make a lot of money, but you're going to deal with some bougie people. Oh, uh, yeah. I didn't want to do that. No. No, definitely not. Um, so, that, yeah, that's that's crazy to think, though. Like I said, it's it's one of those things where you, you don't know what's going to happen, and you just kind of got to go for it. And it look, seems like it all worked out. Now you're going into 2021 with a, a badass rider who's going to be on the podium, I think. And I, I, couldn't, uh, yeah. I couldn't imagine what that's like. Yeah, I had no idea I was even going to eventually get onto a factory 450 program because in the, when I was working at Pro Circuit, that was like I was, you know, going up quickly there. And I was already on the greatest lights program there was. Right. And I was like, the only place up from here is a factory 450 spot. And I never could get that spot. I was just like, dude, I just don't know. Maybe I'm too young to move up. I don't have the right rider to go with me. Just to never got that opportunity to go to a factory 450 program to where I was just kind of like, yeah, you know what? I don't know if I'm like, whatever. If it happens, it happens. But I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna chase it and yeah. get upset that it doesn't happen. But also, it did. It depended where you. It depended on where you lived. And plus, at, during that time, I was pretty wild. So it was pretty. Looking back, I can understand why they probably didn't want to hire me because. I was out with a lot of people, you know, at night a lot. Yeah. I mean, looking back on that, um, was that something like, how did you go from, you know, working with your buddy then to working with Doug Henry on the supermoto side and then working with PC? I mean, um, kind of whatever, you know, if you want to make it a long story, short story, but kind of what, what transitioned from working with a buddy to making it a career? Um, Okay, so yeah, what it, from working for a buddy, so like I said, in the beginning, it was, you know, I was young. I was 21. I just turned 21 when the season started. Yeah. 
And I literally had never even been to a Supercross before. I had no clue what I was doing. Okay. I knew how to work on a dirt bike because I worked on mine and I worked on Steve's all the time for fun prior to this. And that's why he asked me to do it because we would go to races together and we'd work on each other's bikes. He trusted me to work on his stuff because what we did for fun. So now I was just going to get paid for it. And, um, it was a major learning experience. The culture, it was a culture shock for me too, because I came from Northern California where like, you know, if you needed a place to crash, you could sleep at anybody's house, anywhere on the couch, whatever, you know, it's very open, a lot like the, uh, like the East coast, you come to Southern California, um, a little different vibes. better get a hotel. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's like, Hey man, I got crashed with you guys. They're like, now you better get a fucking room. Yeah. So I'm like, whoa. What's your I name just, again? Like, we like, just hung out for eight hours. Yeah. But what's your name again? I was like, yeah. I'm like, I get a lift. They're like, dude, nah, dude, we're we're gonna go. I'm just like, dude, some of these dudes, like, or these these people are just. It was very, very different. Yeah. And it took me a while to catch on to that. And after a while, I was like, all right, just how it is down here. Dog eat dog. Everybody's, you know, that's just how it is. That's that's the vibe. And then you'll you'll get to the races and you'll run across other dudes that aren't like that. And there were some. Some factory mechanics are total assholes, and other guys were super cool. So there's just a, there's, they're just different people. Like I met like Chad Watts was super cool, and he was Ricky's guy, and he was super cool. Okay. And then like Dan Worley was a factory Cowie guy, he was super, he was super cool and super nice guy. But there were some other dudes that are just like, wow, man, you think you're fucking sweet? Yeah, like you're drinking the Kool Aid for sure. Oh uh, yeah, but uh, but yeah, the that transition was different when I first came down and then and I adapted to it and was like, all right, this is how it is. And then, uh, I fluctuated back and forth because with Steve, that team, it folded because there was a, a flood in the Husqvarna factory. So they didn't have any bikes to produce for the following year. Okay. So like without bikes for sale, like we're not going racing. So if you bought a 2003, it was a 2002 with new stickers on it. No, so okay. anyways, team folded, we went home. I went back to the muffler shop, and I was like, "Man, if we ever do this again, I want to go do it again." Because I tried getting a. I don't know. I don't know if I could say I tried really hard to find a job in motocross, yeah. supercross. But I asked. I asked for a couple places, and it just didn't look good. And I was like, "I'll just go home." So I went home, and then, uh, anyways, he did a uh, 250F with Powerhouse Yamaha with uh, I think his name is Tim Pilge, mm-hmm. and. Um, he did really good in Supercross that year. He almost won a damn heat race. And um, anyways, come outdoors. Tim's like, hey, I can't go to all these outdoor races. You know, Steve's like, hey, you want to go do the outdoors? I'm like, let's fucking go. Like, let's do this. I am ready. So I told the guy, at the, I think even before that, I, was, I went from the muffler shop to working on vintage race cars for a little while. So I think that's what I was doing at that time. Okay. And he called me, but either way, I was like, let's go let's do yeah. this. So I went and did that for a season and we had an amazing time. We were on tour with it. We had our own fun mover. We drove all over the country together. We, we met some of the raddest people. I even, what's funny is Scuba, who's our crew chief, team manager, yep. is I met him when we were on the road. We were out partying at some track because they used to have races back then in between the nationals where they have big purse money for pros to show up to. So we were at frozen ocean in uh, New York and there was like a five or $10,000 purse. So this place would turn out like 10, 10 pros from the nationals 
like oh. top guy. Okay, kind of like PIR before Washougal. Yes, exactly. So you'd have like Ryan Mills. You'd have Gorky. Brock. Yeah, but no, Gorky wasn't there yet. No, he's this was prior. About Kinnear, but was he would have been. Age? Yeah. I think Canary would have been there. At Carpenter. You had um, Brock Sellers. Yeah, to say Brock um, was probably there. There was some factory or like satellite fucking good bikes there. There was dudes lining. It was a lot of money. So I mean, I met Scuba there. Met those people were fun, man. We had a blast. It wasn't too serious, but you could have a blast. We even did one race. We wore raccoon hats in the mechanics area. It was, it was awesome. <laughs> Everybody's drinking beer after, just having a good time. Oh yeah, probably wild. It was great. <laughs> I mean, Chad Reed went some races in too drunk, so why not? Yeah, fuck it. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so fast forward, you get on the, you somehow get on the PC. Well, um, yep, yep. I got actually, lucky with that. I was actually so I skipped. So then I go to I go to work for Steve Lampson because okay. the thing was cool is like well, the was on guy. the four stroke. Yeah, so he was on a four stroke. So I had to rebuild the motors on the road so i had four experience at this point so then when it comes to the following year where all the bikes are four strokes i had a little bit of an up because like oh well here he knows how to work on a four stroke so that's cool so steve's like hey i'm gonna do my own thing next year do you want to come be my mechanic i'll pay you you just stay on the road the whole time you don't work on practice bikes you just go to each race and I'll pay you this and give you a bike at the end of the year. And I was like, let's, let's fucking go. So we go do Supercross, East Coast Supercross. Did really good. Won the heat race at Daytona. Your best was the fourth. And then we went and did the outdoor series, probably the first four. What's even cool about that experience is that uh, we went and stayed at Carmichael's for a couple weeks before, during Daytona. So that was a pretty cool experience to go out there and see the farm and do that and met him. Okay. So then we go do that and having a blast. And then Steve gets tears his rotators cup or labor him. I forget which one his shoulder at Southwick. So then it's, we're, you know, I'm like, I'm bummed. I'm like, dude, I gotta go home now. Or, you know, Steve's like, go to a couple races and hang out. I'll still pay you. I know you're supposed to do the whole series. Just, you know, do whatever. Then I run into RC at one of the races. He's like, he's like, are you still coming down? I'm like, well, Steve's hurt. I know, you know, he's, I'm like, he's like, oh, fuck it. You should come down and ride. And I'm like, well, let's go. So I drove down to Florida, rode at his house for like two or three weeks, had an amazing time. He's, he's a, he's a hell of a guy. That's awesome. And yeah, it was cool. I didn't expect that. So I went down there and stayed at his place for like two or three weeks. And then we went to his beach house when I was, but we had a fucking blast, dude. It was sick. Made some good memories. Oh, totally. Yeah. I mean, totally. For... And then, so yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. So then the next step after that, come back a little early. Then I did Supermoto with uh, Troy Lee and Doug Henry. That was another learning experience because we're doing a sport that, that the parts, the bikes aren't really made for Supermoto. So you're creating a bike for it. Everybody's kind of learning through it too. So there's not a lot of product that's developed yet. You're developing product through it. And it was, it was tough. Okay. Um, and, and then it's funny is Zach White, who's a, crew chief of pro circuit his wife was the secretary at troy lee and she's like hey there's an opening at pro circuit you should see if you can get it and i was like fuck yeah so then i go down there and then mitch is like how'd you know i was hiring and i'm like oh 
uh, somebody told me he hadn't even announced it yet, but she knew. She knew, yeah. She Zach knew. knew. So I go down there, and I see Zach. I'm like, hey, man, what's up? And he's like, gives me this look like, what the fuck are you doing here? Because like, I was pretty wild back then, and I partied a lot. So yeah. he was kind of like, I don't, I don't want this guy on our team. And Mitch is like, well, he knows how to work on four strokes, and um, I really don't feel like teaching anybody else right now, I think, is what it kind of went down because – that's, and then Lammy, because I worked for Lammy, and yep. the stuff I was doing while I worked for Lammy was with Pro Circus, so I was down there a lot, and Mitch helped out a lot with that stuff, so we'd already worked together a little bit, so okay. that's that's literally how I got my in so down were you, there. So were you the, living in SoCal full-time in, like, 05, 06? Uh, yeah, so finally in 2000, I think 2004 for Supermoto, um, I stayed at a friend's house during the season and rented a room for like four or 500 bucks. Okay. And then I was like, all right, I guess I'm staying here. So then I moved all my stuff down. And cause before that I was like literally just living out of my, kind of out of my car, sleeping bag in my toolbox. Cause even when I, when I came down there back after 2003, I was like, I need to stay down here. I need to make this happen. So I needed to, yeah, you happen, have to be in so. SoCal. You have to be in SoCal if you want to work in that side of the industry. If you want to be like a mechanic, or if you want to be uh, a like a marketing guy or a gear guy or anything like that, like you kind of have to live in in SoCal. Yeah. Plus, I'm like, I didn't want to go home. I was like, I'm a, I don't want to go back up north. This is what I want to do. I need to make this work. So I just so I came down. So then, I, yeah, sleeping bag and a toolbox, and just kind of crashed on couches for a little while, hopped around, and then finally, when I found out that I had something more like solid as a job, I then I rented a room, and then that that was that was in 2004, and then 2005, I think I may have still been living with the same gentleman. His name was Craig. I lived with Craig, and yeah, I lived in Canyon Lake, and that was. That was a lot of fun. That's a, definitely a party place. I mean, you Dude. think of Canyon Lake, you think of McGrath and a few other uh, big names. I think Jimmy Button lived yeah. there for a little bit. <laughs> like, there's some yeah, guys that live was, in Canyon Lake. It was rad. I'll yeah. tell you that. I, I really like. I really enjoyed myself. I'll tell you that. Oh, so yeah, I, I worked there. <laughs> it was fun. And uh, we used to have we used to have parties back then. We I'd have, we'd have parties in between like East Coast and West Coast series and shit. It was fun, dude. Oh yeah. And uh, then so yeah, I stayed there. I stayed up for the circuit for six years. It was uh, it was it was really awesome. That that bike in two thousand five was fucking amazing. Really? I mean, yeah. Okay. I mean, it was the second year of the four stroke, and Mitch. Mitch got his shit together before it even went down, and it showed in 2004 when they went to the line. And I think, I think he won every single West Coast round. Ivan won almost all of them. I think uh, Roncada might have won. And yeah, and then so then the next uh, I'm talking about yeah so 04 and then in 2005 is when I came on and uh, Grant Langston was East. And then Ivan was West, and he was defending title. And, yep. dude, I mean, the bike was so ahead of its time. I mean, it was not only did it finish, but it was fast. And that was the difference between Mitch's bikes and everybody else's. It was like either they had a little bit slower, but they had a quite a bit slower bike just so it would stay together, or they had a fast bike that would last 
10 minutes. So we had both. We had a bike that was fast and it would finish the races. And that was huge. And you, I mean, that, that just meant that you were able to practice more during the week too. So our guys were getting faster every day because their bikes weren't breaking. And that was a huge deal when the four stroke came out, they were breaking valves, pistons, crankshafts, transmissions. I mean, all these teams are struggling just to keep their bikes together during the week. And they haven't even gone to the races yet. Oh, and we're over there just, we're just putting down fucking laps. Yeah. And that's the same year. I think Suzuki shared some of your guys' stuff too from, um, from the, from mm-hmm. when it was OEM, like the Suzuki and Cali, a lot of the parts were the same. Yep. Same model. Yeah. Same model. So that, the, I mean, the pro circuit bike was, but your guys, yeah, your bike yeah. crushed everybody. And then you had, and then you had Ryan come on the team in 06. Um, yep. So, I mean, it was game over. 05, 06, 07. I mean, even 08, you guys were just crushing yeah. everybody. You guys were what Star is now, pretty much. Yeah. Yeah, it's crazy. Um, I think when I was, just the time that I was there, it was 12 championships. That's insane. It was, in, it was incredible. Yeah. I remember when I saw... Just, we, Go ahead. No, but we were going to need another door for the <laughs> semi because we filled one up. And I was like, this is this is nuts. Like, and you're looking at all the other teams in the pits, and, you know, they got a couple on there, and we literally, like, filled up a damn door in, like, in six years. It was, it was incredible. It was like three in a row. We won all three in 2005. We won two the next year. I mean, it was just, like, one after another, just, like – even if we didn't win the championship that year, we got second. Like, we almost won the fucker. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it was – Mitch's bikes were definitely – everybody wanted to be on those bikes for sure. And then Geico started to figure it out. And Yeah, yep, they then, did. Um, they kind of turned a leaf. And then Paul said, Paul Parabino says they went to blue wheels, and that kind of threw everything away. Once they got away from brown wheels, it ruined everything. Oh, the blue hub. Yeah, yeah, the hubs. Yep, yep, yep. yep. <laughs> So they should have just stacked brown yeah. hubs once you once you leave brown hubs. But yeah, um, good. speaking of PC and kind of what you're doing now, I mean, what's what's some of the biggest differences from working on a fact satellite factory team to working for a full factory team now? Um, and when I say satellite, a lot of people get confused. Like Mitch is a factory 250 effort, but a lot of times Mitch pays for everything out of his pocket. Mitch is the boss. Mitch doesn't have to. Answer. I mean, he has to probably talk to Cowie here and there, but it's a sort of pro circuit is the owner of that team. So they make the rules. And now you're working with a full blown factory team. You have to go through Austria. It's a lot more, I would say, corporate as much. You know what I mean? So kind of if you can talk a little bit about that, you know, the differences between working for a guy like Mitch now working for, you know, more corporate people. Yeah. So I'd say the biggest difference between those two is it's clearly that it's Mitch's program and he really doesn't have to answer to anybody. And if you want to do something, if he's okay with it, you go do it. You get to do it like right that second yeah. versus where if we want to do something that's on, I'm talking about like a radical change. If we want to do something on our team now, it's got to go through, it's got to go through probably six hands or maybe I'd say probably four hands before it even gets, across the, uh, the water over to Austria, which okay. is, you know, by email. It, every, but here's the other thing. It does move pretty fast, too. Right. Yeah, it's I mean, not it's like we're sending time. it by mail. Yeah. So it goes through Scuba, then it goes through Ian, it goes through Roger, and then it goes from Roger, goes over to Austria. Um, 
but that's not the saying that we're requesting stuff frequently, which we're not because the bike's pretty goddamn good. Yeah, it's proven. It's, uh, I mean, you guys have won it, it's two, damn ti- proven. two it's, titles in two years, so. Yeah, I mean, so that's the biggest difference is I'm like, hey, we, we want to do this. Mitch is like, go make one. And you go make it now, and then you just you just do it. You know okay. what I mean? And it's there's no he's the he's the approval versus you know factory. And I think that's the difference between all the and all factory teams. I've been told are the exact same way. It's like Kawasaki can't just go do what they want. They got to get Japan to approve what they want to change on the motorcycle. And I know Suzuki had that same problem. I think it might be why they're probably not where they should be because they didn't approve a lot of things. They would have been like, no, you need to run this. And I kind of think, I think it kind of shows that kind of if bit you don't yeah. bit them in the butt, they needed to approve probably some more stuff of the, to the American way of, you know, ingenuity is like the yeah. fastest people, fastest riders in the world are here. They're competing here. And I think some of the best mechanics are here in the U S as well, because even um, the best mechanics from other countries come here. Right. So, the cream of the crop is here. They may not be born in America, but there's going to be some damn good mechanics that came from other countries, and they're the top mechanics here. So yeah. everybody's here. Yeah, and it seems like a lot of the teams that are investing in wanting to win championships, they're putting every right foot forward. You know, like with Mitch, he's – or not with Mitch, but with Roger, he's on the machine. He knows what that – you know what I mean? He's been developing not only the KTM, but probably helping with the development of Husky too. So – I can only imagine those guys. If yep. if it makes sense, they're on board. They they will explain. Oh yeah, the what, when, where, why, how, and if you cross those checkpoints, he's gonna do everything in his power to get it done for you guys. He does, and it's awesome. He he definitely does. But I mean, what I'm, what's awesome is though, like we really don't have to do it really much at all. Yeah, the bike's like probably so bike, good. Yeah. Yeah, I mean. I mean, I went to Canada with Porcel in 2017, and as I was, I got this build sheet for the bike, and I'm pulling all the parts for it. I'm putting it together, and I'm like, hey, I'm like, so is this a rule thing? Why he's running all these stock parts in Canada? Can we not run these factory parts? And they're like, no, that's that's what Christoph runs. That's what he likes. That's awesome. And I'm like, and I'm like, are you? I'm like, I got stock linkage on the bike. I mean, there was so many stock parts on this bike that we took to Canada because that's what he wanted, what he liked. Oh my, this thing's amazing. Yeah. Literally nothing. It had a pipe on it almost, you know? (laughs) Yeah. It probably makes your job easy. Yeah. It was easy. It was awesome. Pipe in the seat cover. Let's go. There you go. Easy, easy done. It makes your parts list and going back and forth. I can imagine with California and and Canada to get parts going through, again, going through customs and stuff probably was a, a struggle. Yeah, we literally just made a small parts inventory on the back of a fun mover and sent it up there. And just um, logistics-wise, I think we had three. We had all the engines we needed on the truck to just about finish up the series in case we got any caught in customs. I brought all my tires up there, all of our fuel. We brought everything. So, I mean, the only thing I was bringing back and forth on the weekends was plastic and graphics and seat covers or, like, seats. That was pretty much it because everything was getting built from parts that we stuck on that truck just because of customs. Because the other thing is, like, I got pulled in multiple times and questioned why I was coming in out of the country. I had a, um, I had a like a temporary workers permit that was makes anybody in the racing industry exempt, but that didn't mean they weren't going to pull me in and question why 
a Canadian couldn't do my job, which I totally respect them doing that. Right. Because, you know, how do we know well, you're stealing work from our um, somebody in our country? Why are you here? But I'm like, well, I'm assigned to this writer, and that's my job. But um, it wasn't easy. Yeah, yeah, and I know Christoph, he, his English is pretty good, but it's all that's makes yeah, it's really food. good. Yeah, yeah. So it was. What about your bonus? What about his bonus money? Was that was that in the fun mover? <laughs> <laughs> he actually gave me a little bonus, and I was I was like surprised. That's funny. I've, I I've heard on another podcast he's uh, he's burned a couple people on some bonus money. You know, so. we we talked about it, but I, I heard he was I heard he was like that before I even took the job, and I'm like, oh, I also get bonus money. It was, but it's, you know, it's a job, and it's factory fork factory. Yeah, it's your, it's your foot in the door. And the other thing is, you can't be like greedy because you're, you know, I'm only going to work for some guy if I get bonus money. There's mechanics that go out there and for the for their entire careers and never see the podium and never get bonus money. So it's like, right. who am I to say that I I can't? I'm not going to work for someone unless I get bonus money. So I'm just like, whatever. You know, it, it'll be harder to swallow knowing that you qualified to get it in a sense, but don't get it. But at the same time, there's gratitude and um, winning and there's gratitude and being on the box. You know, it feels good. So it's yeah. awesome. And I, my wife makes fun of me for sometimes on stuff like that. She's like, you do, you're too nice or whatever. It's like, I, I enjoy the experience. Like, yeah, I might, I might have been able to make some money or whatever, but for me, I don't mind doing some stuff for the experience or the relationship or whatever. You know what I mean? You just never know who you're going to meet, you know, or, or what relationship you're going to make. So for me, I'm always trying to look for those opportunities, even if I'm uh, not going to get the money. Exactly. And you won't know unless you put yourself in those positions because you never know where you're going to be in 10 years. Yeah. And I could I could probably tell you a story about every person I've met where like if there's been people I know I've pissed off that it got me later and there's other people where I've you know reached out and helped them and then later it comes around full circle so yeah every it what goes around comes around that's for sure yeah for sure I mean look at, I mean just look at this show like I'm not getting any money off this but it made me meet you and I would never met you probably without this show so. Everything happens for a reason, so I'm super excited to have it. And um, again, super excited to have you on the show. And thanks to our sponsors, Spot Network TV, Motion Pro, Works Connection, Scott Goggles, and Bell Ray. So again, guys, thank you for listening to episode nine of the Moto Spot Show. We're talking with Damon from Factory Husqvarna. Husqvarna. <laughs> Husqvarna. Um, he's the factory mechanic for Dean Wilson. So again, we, uh, we appreciate the, uh, his time today. But Damon, for you, again, like I said, we've talked a little bit about um your your history and the sport how you got in the sport and kind of where you're at now but for me the other question i had for you too is um 2021 we're going to a year with husky being at its ultimate best and you worked at us at cowie at its factory best in 05 but what do you feel is the differences between the bikes and and teams and the industry and the atmosphere from 05 till now um (laughs) it's a fun one huh yeah, I'd say the biggest difference that I see today versus then is that a lot of the people that are in the sport now are the same people that were in the sport at that time. So a lot of us came in in our 20s, and a lot of us are now in their 40s, and some of us even yeah. older than that. So when you look at the group of guys, like that class, um, they're in their 20s. So everybody used to party every 
night, before the race, before build day. I mean, it was like a nonstop all the time. And it wasn't just one team. It was like, it was like all the teams yeah. because we all stayed at the same hotels. We all ended up at the same bars and it was a lot of fun. And we were also working on two strokes back then. So, and you also had this, this window where you could rebuild the bike, you know, in a couple hours because the TV program was different. So like, you know, you might be able to come in hung over here and there and get away with it, but you definitely <laughs> couldn't do that now. You got, no. I mean, you got a four stroke with electrical wires everywhere and you got a, a, a time frame, a small window. You got to perform. You can't be out fucking around the night before a race like you used to back then. And it was almost like, you were sh- if you didn't show up, you're a pussy. Right. So yeah, you had to go on Saturday. Like, uh, where were you last? Oh time? yeah, where were you? It was fucking twelve o'clock, and I didn't see your ass anywhere. Did you go to bed, pussy. Yeah. You know, it's kind of like that. It was fun. We had a blast. We went. We'd go to clubs. We'd go to bars. And yeah. Yeah. Girl, I met, yeah. Oh five. Oh six. You know the industry. Rental cars. Jumping oh. rental cars. Trashing rental cars. Oh yeah, because I mean, they're in your name. You, right. know, like you paid for the you paid for the insurance out of your pocket. So it's your rental car. Now it's like it's a corporate rental car. You do not want to fuck around. Like you 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 don't want to back into something. Yeah, you'll lose your you job know? now. Where back then it was it was a story to tell. You'd walk up to the team owner and be like, "Dude, we got so fucked up last night. In the car the car's over there in the in the pond." And you're yeah, like, you'd be like, "Oh, dude, see these tire marks? Look at this shit from last night." And like, oh, you, you're, somebody pulls up and. You hear their tires thumping because their flat spots are so bad. Oh, we yeah. had a guy blow the wheel, blow the tire off the wheel at a race one week, and he comes pulling in, and the the rubber strip, like the whole thing, came off and was it ruined the fender, and we had to change it before <laughs> just in, just so we can make it in time to the airport. I mean, it was. Oh, I can only imagine fun. the stories. Like, I feel like if anybody wanted to write a book. From our sport, it's got to be somebody like from your era or like the late nineties. Um, oh yeah, the nineties like were even better. Yeah, like if somebody wrote a book about just the stories in the industry, like just it would just be unreal. I feel like Dave Prater or Davy Coons would have like a heart attack. They would do everything oh, in their power yeah. for that book not to come out. <laughs> yeah, rental cars were great times. It was like a form of entertainment. It's like, hey, let's go over here. This is really bitching railroad track you can jump, or you know. It's- yeah, stuff the, like that. The local groupies. I know Troy, Ohio. Sometimes there was a you know there'd be people having fun at, at the locals at Troy, Ohio, and just or Kentucky. Uh, what was that that race in Ohio? Was it called Kentucky? There was a track in Troy, Ohio. I forgot what it was called, but they don't have it on the series no more in outdoors. But I know just God, you guys used to have so much fun back in the day. Oh, we did. It was, and everybody did it together. That's why it made it so funny. You didn't, nobody really stood out. Yeah. Other than the guys who went to bed early. Yeah, I mean, that, like you said, though, it's just now, like, everybody, I know for me, like, I'll text somebody, and they're like, I mean, what are you doing? And it's 9.30. Like, oh, i got to get ready. I'm going to bed, dude. I'm like, dude, it's 9.30. And, like, dude, it, they're like, we got to get up early tomorrow. We got to be at the track at 7 a.m., you know, track walk. Got to do this, got to do that. And track walk's, like, serious now. Nobody's hung, showing up hung over to track walk anymore. No, no, but I got a wife and a kid now. So <laughs> the other thing is, like, if you do that all weekend, you could, you could 
fall asleep on the plane on Sunday and you can come home on Sunday and just, you know, go sleep all day. But when you got a wife and a kid, when you land, like you're on, you cannot go sleep and yeah. sleep off a hangover. You got to show up and be dad and be a husband and, you know, be a family guy and do whatever, you know, do whatever it is they want to do. Because if you don't, you're, 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 yeah, you're, you're a dick. You're, <laughs> you're a dick. Yeah. You sent it too hard this weekend. You left nothing for your family. So you got to, you gotta balance it out a little bit, but I'd say that's probably the biggest difference what about between like, them. And the other thing is budgets like, and like bikes. You guys get the same amount of parts and bikes and budgets, or the budget bigger now? Way bigger. Okay. Way bigger. Back then, I mean, you had to like peel your graphics off and put put new stickers on, and you got as much as you could out of your plastic. Versus now, it's new plastic every weekend, new graphics every weekend, new seat cover every weekend. Um, that kind of stuff okay. is that makes the job a little. E- it's good. It's actually easier to go grab a new piece of plastic and put a new panel on versus going spending twenty dollars in contact cleaner trying to get the glue off. That's you know, worse. I like that. It, it it takes forever. And if, I bet you, if, if you look at like the, the money they pay us hour, you would pay be paid hourly to just take pay for the the plastic and put a sticker on it versus to pay us to take the sticker off. You'd lose money. Yeah. No, for sure. I mean, and so the, yeah, the budgets are way better. We got way more money now from sponsors. But here's the other kicker: the four-stroke engine costs an arm and a leg to maintain and make fast and reliable. If okay. they have the same money that we have now and the budgets we have now back then, dude, those bikes would have been sick. I mean, they were sick, but they would have been like even. I mean, gnarly. You're saying. Yeah, they would have been amazing. I mean, everybody would have had incredible bikes. I mean, a, a a race bike back then was like, you know, some work suspension, clamp, a cone bo- a cone pipe, a motor, a couple mag covers, maybe some mag hubs. That's it. Yeah, so 40, they, 40, they grand, really 40 grand, maybe 50 grand. Yeah, now you're looking at a four-stroke. I think it's like 150 grand. Yeah, that's insane. Yeah, and they got to hire engine builders now. Before everybody built their own engines, now you got twice the staff okay. just to maintain the bike. Yep. And you got shipping costs because you got to ship the motors everywhere to get them done. They all get dynoed now before they didn't get dynoed. I think Pro, Pro Circuit, we dynoed all of our, we built all of our, but Pro Circuit, we had to build our own motors and uh, Zach would dyno them for us and then we'd ship them out. We did build our own motors there, but I mean, I think there's not a lot of teams that still do that. Yeah, a lot of them have engine guys now. So, how many like bikes does Dean get? Does he get a practice bike and a race bike, or does he have like a two practice bikes and one race bike? Yes, Dean has one race bike on the truck always, and that's and there's enough parts on there to build a whole other bike if we had to. Yeah, but his practice bike, he gets two practice bikes all the time, and then there's always like a third that's like in a rotation. Okay. So when one bike's getting t- about the time out, that third bike's getting built and then it gets, it gets shipped to wherever he is, which right now he's at Baker's. So that bike gets there, they'll box up and create the other one, ship it back. And then you rebuild that bike. And you have like that, like a three bike rotation, but like the, the third bike may not have suspension on it because it's faster for us to ship the stuff the suspension overnight then ship a bike ground because you need to turn the suspension around quite faster than you do the motorcycle okay so yeah they they're shipping that stuff back and forth back and forth there's not really a wp tech with him all year at baker's or no 
Okay. Yeah, exactly. So the bike will come back with no suspension on it, just like some struts and in a crate, and then you tear it down and rebuild it and send them back another one. Yep. Okay, that makes sense for sure. Um, let's see here, and then I also had. So also too, like oh four till now, you have what we call the triple crowns. What's yeah. what's that like for you guys? Is is that pretty hectic? Or I mean, what's a race weekend look like for you guys when you go into a triple crown? Are you guys prepping two bikes? Or you said you had one bike always on the semi, so you're only prepping one bike. Like how hectic is how hectic are the triple crowns for you guys? Okay, so the triple crown for our team was tough um, the last couple of years because. All three 450 riders, their bikes are totally different. So you really, and we didn't have, a, we don't have like a tremendous budget to have three bikes, let alone the space, because we have also a bunch of 250 riders in our truck too. So we don't have a lot of space to have a ton of bikes and to be able to haul them around all year. Right. So right. like a satellite team, it's no problem for them to have two light bikes on deck for you know, they're guys, so they have two bikes, and, you know, you change suspension, the clamps, bar bounce, a couple things, the bike's good, and then you switch it to the next rider, you know, for the next coast when you have to. It's not as big of a deal. Where our guys, like, Zach's my size, and then you got Dean, who's tall as hell, and then Jason's in the middle. Okay. So none, none of their bikes are the same. Yeah. Um, so we built... One bike for Zach because Zach's bike's so unique compared to the rest. It's not even worth trying to make him ride anybody else's stuff. So Zach had a spare, and then we built like a hybrid between Jason and Dean, to where it has the, the same gearing, suspension's pretty close, and the same triple clamps, and then the bars are pretty close. So we left that, and it, it's stressful because you're not like, all right, if I have to grab this bike and run down there with it my guy is going to be like, Hey, this isn't my stuff. Or if there's enough time, you switch those couple items, which was the bars and a seat and maybe a set of forks, whatever you could get changed and get it down. And you'd be like, Hey, you're just lucky to have a bike because if you crashed and yarded it, it's on you, you know? Right. But, uh, the other thing that's tough about those is like, say we do like an Arlington or a Houston, you're like half a mile away. So if shit hits the fan, you gotta some. You gotta get in a mule, or oh, you gotta get on back. From there, huh? They're far, so if something okay. goes down, you gotta haul ass. And some of those rounds, we would just have a bike down in the tunnel, ready to go in case something like that went down. But yeah, they're stressful just knowing that you don't have time to prepare a bike in between if it goes down. But having an extra bike for sure is a uh, definitely a bonus. Yeah, I mean, I can only imagine what that like. I mean, it's it's fast paced and. It's not easy getting getting all those things, and like you just said with the rider, comfort for rider is huge. So if they're not comfortable, it's it's like you took their uh, lunch money or something. They they are not happy. No, I mean, <laughs> like Dean's bike super tall, dude. I, I could barely get my leg over the goddamn thing. Yeah, I think I saw somebody comment on the Instagram about that. And you're like, it's tall as hell. Oh, it's tall as hell. I've I've tipped over on it twice in the pits because like, I can't touch the damn ground. That's amazing. <laughs> oh yeah, I came in one weekend, grabbed the, I just grabbed the front brake a little bit off camber and dropped her under the tent. That was pretty funny. And then uh, I did it another time. I was out riding it around, uh, in between motos or just before practice at a uh, Redbud, and I just 
don't just barely stalled the fucker and then fell and like I caught it, but like I almost and I looked up and there's another rider and his eyes got huge. <laughs> I forget I forget his name, but he was like, "Holy shit, dude! I almost I almost weeded it." That's amazing. That thing is, that it is tall. There you go, folks. It's not always uh, rainbows and sunshines in the mechanic world. <laughs> it looks good, but. Uh. Oh, but he makes it rip, and it fits him perfect. And I'm like, hey, dude, whatever. It's not about me. It's about him. So if it fits him. It's what he wants, what he gets. Yeah, I'm actually, I'm actually I running need- his, uh, his bat wing style seat on my bike. And everybody yeah. that sees that thing is like, what is that? I'm like, just go ride with it, dude. Like, it looks funky on the bike, but just go ride with it. And they're like, holy shit. Like, that's amazing. Like, Guts knocked it out of the park with, out of the park with that seat. They did. It's incredible. Like, when, it, when he comes in from a race, you can see how much it's, like, worn down. I can see how much it works. It's incredible. Yeah, that thing's awesome. Like, it it, uh, it literally looks like a wing. Like, it looks like it's going to take flight. Like, it's big. But it, it works. So we talked about maxi pad. Exactly. (laughs) That's amazing. Um, So we talked about racing. We talked about PC. Talked a little bit about Husky. But what we haven't talked about is how you're a young entrepreneur. Um, So it looks like you have a company called Moto Parts Trader. Um, I checked it out the other day. It it looks like you guys have had listings from Chad Reed's bikes, and you've had listings from A Kit Suspension. So looks like you're in the know on some cool factory parts and kind of provide a service for the industry what what made you start that how did you start the moto parts trader.com okay so the, the way that i got started was a friend of mine this is i was working for team tatter and i was working for i was working for dakota and a friend of mine was like hey i need to sell my a kick can you you know help me sell it i'll give you a cut and i'm like yeah no problem so then i put i think i put it on ebay and I went through the process, and I'd already been, like, through eBay before, and I didn't really like it. And I also didn't like dealing with Craigslist because it's just, like, you would just answer stupid questions. And half the time, you never even got a – nobody would even, like, call on it because they're not looking for it there. So um, eBay, and after I got it all done, eBay took their cut, and then I looked at my cut, and I was like, fuck, there's barely anything here for me. So – they gave my friend the money. He was still, he was stoked. He got what he wanted. And I was like, all right, cool. And I was like, I should do my own thing because I feel like there should be a place where your people can sell this stuff. And also other people can sell used motorcycle parts and not have to worry about competing with other crap and also pay a large fee. And also your ad expires. And I think a lot of the things about I didn't like about um, Craigslist and eBay was that your, your ad expires. And when you're trying to sell like a really bitching part, like a kit suspension, yeah. you're not going to like, you may miss the window for somebody who's looking for it because you, and then you pay to run the ad, like you pay for it. You don't, you're just losing money. So I was like, I'm going to build something that's motorcycle specific and I'm gonna sell. I'm gonna sell my stuff on here, or other people can sell their stuff here when they want to sell it. Because people were always hitting me up to buy a kit, or they were hitting me up to sell it. So I always had this like revolving door, flip, yeah, just revolving, revolving door. door of a kit. So I always had a kit that I was selling. Yeah. So I got together with uh, Clayton Miller from uh, uh, Freestone. 
So I, I met him in Oak. That's another example of just being on the road and meeting people. I met him when I was in Texas. I went and rode Freestone before it was even a track. Okay. So that was a cool. Anyway, I met him. We've known each other. We stayed in touch for years. And I'm like, hey, I want to build a website. And this is what I want to do. I don't, and I, he even helped me come up with a name. So I was going to call it like Dirt Bike Trader or Motocross like Parts. I couldn't remember what I, what I went through. He's like, why don't you just call it Moto Trader, Moto Parts Trader? Because everybody is like, Moto is this motorcycle. I'm like, perfect. Sounds great. Yeah. So, Works out good. I started there with that. <clears throat> and I'm like, what do you want to do? I said, I just want to do a basic classified free. And I want the ads to run long so people can get the opportunity to actually sell their stuff. Because if it stays up long enough, somebody's going to search for it and somebody's going to find it and they're actually going to be able to sell it. And they're not going to end up throwing it in the trash or, you know, selling it for half of what it's worth because they just couldn't get a, get a bite. So we did that. And then, um, my friend Scott Dimmick, he helped me, he built the logo and then we built the website, we put it up, and then I listed um, a bunch of parts that I'd had and started listing stuff. I'd call people, hey, you, like, you want me to list your stuff? I started listing other people's stuff for them. I would, I basically did all the legwork and listed okay. ads, put their phone, they're like, well, are you going to get paid? I'm like, no, you're going to get the direct email. You can negotiate your own price. I don't take anything from it. It's 100% free. So that's how I got started. And then I, my goal was to be, you know, the platform to, to, for teams that sell bikes like Star or Factory Connection when they sold their bikes at the end of the year and never really got there because a lot of times they already have people lined up before the bikes even would hit. They never even hit the market there. Their bikes are sold before they get there. Gotcha. But, okay. So I started buying a kit from people, and then I would sell it. I'd tell them, like, hey, I'm, I'm going to mark it up. So, you know, like, I'll, I'll give you this for it, or you can list it and you deal with it. And I go, you, you know, you take it. Or some people, a lot of people, a lot of people list their own stuff on there and they use it. Yeah. And it helps a lot of people out that, like, have little mom and pop bike shops. They can list their parts on there because they may not have the ability to have a website to to put all of their parts on there. So they can put their parts on my site. They don't got to worry about getting robbed on a fee. Um, they don't got to, and they can stay out there long enough to where they might nab that customer maybe a year from now or six months from now so they'll they got the, they got a good ability of selling that part and um it's funny i even my friend mark samuels was racing off for the time and um i sponsored him with like i'm like hey i'll build you a couple engines but you got to run my logo on your shroud so he's like the first person like i sponsored so that's awesome. like that, i think it's one of the first one of the first pictures on my instagram is a picture of him and i think a kid named max eddie and uh, they're out racing. They might have even raced Baja, maybe like San Felipe or something like that. Vegas to Reno, a couple things on his bike. It was pretty cool. And that's uh, kind of that's he got started with that. And okay. But yeah, that's that's what Moto Parts Trader is. It's free. It's also a way for me. Like it's it, it is selfish in a sense to say I want people to um, buy and sell their parts so they can help others get their motorcycles going and back riding again because if they don't ride and people don't ride motorcycles, then I'm out of the job. So yeah. just trying to keep the uh, keep the ball rolling with motorcycles. If, if, you know, if a guy's missing a radiator, and that's the only reason why he's not riding, but he can't afford to pay $300 for one, but he can find one over here for 50 bucks, he's going to go ride again, and he's going to buy a Dunlop tire and 
you know, he's going to buy fly gear, you know, whatever yeah. it takes. And, and then it always comes back full circle. Yeah. And kind of just like you said, just giving a people a place to go where they know for sure they're going to get moto parts and not get a bunch of like scam ads or whatever. It's, it's a website you can go to that you for sure, if you type in a kit, you're going to find a kit. You're not going to find uh, oh, yeah. a, a kit coffee maker or some shit. Like it's, you're, no, you're going to find no what yeah, you're going to find what you're looking for. So I really like that aspect of it. And I, I, you brought up an interesting point too. how you mentioned the team stole their bikes. I didn't, I didn't know they did that or I don't, they might not do it anymore, but I know sometimes people can say they, they get bikes, but a lot of times the teams will put them back to stock and then they're not full works bikes or factory bikes. So that'd be cool to see some bike. Like when Chad's bike popped up there, I was like, no way. That's pretty crazy. And you know what I mean? You, you just don't see that stuff often on the, uh, on the web. Like you said, it's usually spoken for already. So it's kind of cool to see that stuff. Yeah, so here's a funny story about that. So Chad, um, I got to say, really put me on the map um, because I knew his team manager, um, Dave Osterman. Yep. And Dave hits me up, hey, we're selling Chad's stuff. Do you still have that website? I'm like, yes, I do. He's like, all right, we're going to sell a couple of Chad's bikes. Do you want to put them on? And I said, absolutely. So I'm like, I'll come down. I'll take pictures of them, and I'll do all the legwork. You don't got to do a damn thing. So, cause I just, I really wanted the, that stuff on my website. Yeah, so I went down there, took pictures yeah. of it and I made a, I did a write up, I put it on there and, um, it didn't do real well because like, the traffic was, you know, that nobody, the thing is nobody knew it was there. So then Chad's like hit David, Hey, what's up with that bike? You sell it and see, so he's like, no, but he's like, there's not a lot of people looking at it. He's like, Michael, well, why don't you just give him a shout out? I'm like, you don't gotta say my name. Just. Tell people that it's there for sale, and I said, I promise you, you'll get top dollar for it if you let them know it's available. Like, there's, like, no hands down, there will be no heckling. You're going to get top dollar for this bike. Yep. He, he does that. He's like, yo, anybody interested in a 2-2 motorsports bike, check it out. Put the direct link to the site. It goes there. My traffic goes through the roof, crashes the site because I don't have enough bandwidth or something. And I'm like, I'm like, shit, I wasn't even like prepared for this. It was funny. So you can see people commenting on his Instagram. Oh, I just checked it out. The site crashed. There's like 14,000 people viewed that bike <laughs> within like a couple hours. So then I'm on the phone with the hosting people. And I'm like, hey, like what's going on? They're like, oh, you need like, you need more bandwidth. I think it's what it's called. So then I... You know, within an hour, I get it all fixed. It's back up. It's going. And then um, that really put me on the map when he did that. And then he did it again, um, I think, a year or two later with his Cowies. We did the same thing. And then every time Chad said, yo, anybody want one, check it out, my traffic would go through the roof. And then a lot of those people uh, returned there. So I'm very grateful for that. Yeah, that's rad. I mean, like like I said, it, that's how I found out about the website. I, I saw that post. And went and looked at it. And I was like, "What the heck's MotopartsTrader.com?" And then that's how I found it. You know what I mean? So crazy, like you said, everything comes full circle. Now I have you on the phone and interviewing you, so it's pretty, pretty cool. That's what yeah. that's what I love about our yeah, industry. That's, yeah, it's small. It is. It's, really it's, small. it's it's big, but it's small. Very niche. Yes, wild too is like I even like before I went to Tedder's, I was doing R and D at Pro Circuit. I did the engine for Chad when he did his own program. Okay, so. Um, I got to go testing with him a couple times and just did a lot of dyno, did a lot of shit for him. Mitch was always like, Hey, let's do this for Chad. And, um, uh, we did a lot of engine work for him and that was, it was kind of cool. And that's, and that's how I got in, uh, that's how I became friends with Dave Osterman. So that's, that's how that worked. It's crazy. Yeah. It's wild. Just taking opportunities. Yeah. 
No, I, I think that's what I love about our sport is just you never know who you're going to meet or what relationship you're going to make. So, um, you know, that's the question I get all the time is how do I get involved or how do I become a part of the industry? I'm like, work at a shop or get involved with some kind of writer or something and then just make every relationship you can and don't burn any bridges. Straight up. That's exactly what I tell everybody. I'm like, go hop on with a local pro rider or your buddy and go to the track and do a good job and hope he takes you with you or meet people along the way. And you'll, that opportunity. I mean, that's how a lot of people do it to begin with. It's not who you are. So, you know, yeah, exactly. Yeah. If you work hard and you, and you help someone do something or, and you know, don't ask for anything in return, they're going to remember that. And it might go a long way, um, in the long run. So, Definitely, yeah, sure. uh, like I said, it's it's all about just making relationships. That's the biggest thing for our sport is is relationships are huge. You can you can be the um, hardest working guy or the or the least hard working guy or whatever, but if you're a dick and you, you take advantage of people or don't do what you say, and it's gonna it's gonna hurt you in the long run for sure. I always come back. Yeah, yeah, it's a, everything's full circle, I think, in our industry. But um, real quick, before I let you go, just one more random little question I had for you. Um, I was looking at you know, 04, 05, you were on PC Cowie, and there was another guy on that on Cowie's, but he wasn't on PC, the name of James Stewart. Was there any uh, any talk or any anything that happened um, that you can give us insight on that, or is that kind of like a closed door, can't really talk about it type deal? <clears throat> No, I, I think if any, I think it's, I'm sure plenty of people know about it, and it's, he's not even racing anymore. So, um, what I what I know is that he was supposed to go to pro circuit, and that was that was the deal back then. And it, I think it's oh, it's been that way even after that. Was that any upcoming 125 rider was supposed to go to pro circuit because Mitch was the um, he was the like the factory level type um, 125 team, and then the Kawasaki team was the 250 program. So that's how it was. I mean, Mitch's 125s back then were incredible. I mean, why wouldn't you want to be on one of those bikes? Right. So um, I don't know how it all went down, but I know that James was under the factory Kawasaki tent, and I know Mitch was not stoked about it. And that he was supposed to be under Mitch's tent. And I, I think, um, I bet you James probably looks back and wishes he probably would have been under that tent a little bit. Cause I'm sure he missed out on some really cool stuff that, uh, that bike was good too. That 2DF bike was good. Yeah. I mean, he on even, I mean, he's still one on the 125, but it was just the 2DF 05, 06. You know what I mean? Like it would have been for him to have the, the 2DF probably would have been really good for him. Well, yeah, because Factory Cowie had so the next year when they had the four stroke, um, they wanted to develop their own, and Mitch did his. So they were doing their own thing, and Mitch had his, or like we had ours, and ours was a hundred times better than theirs. And they spent a ton of money trying to develop that thing. I mean, they hired, I think, Rinaldi or some other big big engine names and they brought that thing out to the track and it was nothing like the pro circuit one and i think i think that james even raced the pro circuit one come the last round where he kicked everybody's ass because i think he raced the four stroke of glen helen yeah he did and ruined everybody yep but uh he definitely missed out 
So that was a PC bike, bike at Glen Helen. I think it was. I think okay. it was a PC motor. I don't think it was a PC bike. Um, there was a PC motor. But, uh, he def- yeah, but he definitely missed out on that opportunity because that, uh, that bike was incredible. He could uh, he I remember him telling Mitch he thought he could win the fourth the, the big bike class on Mitch's bike. That's how fast that thing was. Well, I mean, RV did it in Disney Nations in 07. He is doable. Yeah, yeah, he whooped everybody, <laughs> dude. Fucking smacked him down. Um, so we have this thing called Scott Subjects for the Scott goggles. Make sure to check those out, guys. The Scott Sports USA goggles, the 2021 graphics are out now for the Prospect and Fury. So make sure to go check that out. Widest lens on the market, fit over 50 millimeters big. Um, their foam is hands down the best foam. They just now signed Jason Anderson, who works over there with Damon. And uh, I'll be excited yep. to see what he does with the Scott goggles and get those on the podium. Now we just need to get Dean on the program. <laughs> just kidding. Um, just pick up where we left off, baby. That's all we got to do. I know, I know. Um, but there's a, there's a comment here that says, ask about Billy. Um, so who's Billy and why does Knowles want to know about Billy? Okay. So that goes back to, um, 2000 era, 2000, I think six or five. Um, we used to go out, not when we used to go, we used to go to bar. We used to go, we used to go do karaoke and shit and we had a blast. Okay. We had fun. And, um, Zach White is the crew chief and, Sarah White, were, they were getting married, so and then I, was, I practiced for like a month to sing uh, Billy uh, Billy Idol's "Rebel Yell" and "White Wedding." So I was saying "White Wedding" at his wedding. <laughs> no way! And yeah, it was it was so funny because uh, uh, Bevo was there from uh, who is at one hundred percent now. Yep, yep. He was at Scott at the time, and then so every time, even to this day, he goes, "What's up, Billy?" <laughs> That's amazing. Every time. And this creeper looks at me like, why the fuck does he call you Billy? And I was like, it's a long story. But we were, we had a blast. It was at some, we were like in Orange County somewhere at this, uh, his, where his wedding was. And I sang that song. It was, it was pretty awesome. We had a really, that's time. amazing. I wish there's a, there's gotta be a video somewhere. Someone needs to find this video. Knowles, if you're listening, that, we need to find this video. That's another thing I'll tell you that's different about then and now is like, yeah, the social media, camera phones dude everybody will pull you can't get too squirrely because someone's gonna pull out a camera phone and video it or do something so back then like unless you brought a disposable with you like there's no footage didn't happen yeah that's (laughs) kind of the crazy thing now too i think why a lot of people don't party because you go downtown and if tomac is at you know, let's say in Vegas getting loose or whatever, like it's, it's game over. Like it's, it's not good. So, and which sucks because back then that was the thing to do. Like if you got to party with McGrath, like everybody was talking about the next day and everybody was laughing about it. Now it's like, you think it was awesome. Yeah. Now you just get judged or, you know, you get the keyboard warriors that just blow everybody out. Oh, the big, Oh, you should be in bed training. You're a waste of talent. There's like, there's so much, chatter yeah. now that you see it's like you can either some guys can block it out and roll on about their lives other guys that get to them but um yeah there was none of that yeah no i mean i remember the phones were just starting to text when i was first doing that and nobody texted back then no, no everybody called yeah it's uh definitely a different era and different times that we live in i mean who would ever thought 10 years ago no now 15 years ago you'd be wearing a mask going to the starting line 
Yeah. Oh, hey, one more thing I, I thought I mentioned to you is that I'm working on with Mark Samuels is is uh, Slam Life okay. uh, clothing line. Yep. So, so it's funny. Is I, I sponsored Mark back then, which, you know, a couple of engine builds. And dude, we've been friends because I met him as, as when I was doing engine development, when I was doing uh, engine development at Pro Circuit, I would also do the amateur support. So we met when he was like 16 years old. I've known him since. We've always stayed in touch. I've helped him out a bunch of times. And then he started hashtagging Slam Life. And I gave him a nickname, Slamuels, when he was like 16. Cause his name was Samuels. And I go, it's fucking Slamuels. And, and, and then he took it to the next level. And he started hashtagging Slam Life on a bunch of stuff. And it started getting catching on. And I was like, you should do something with that, man. I think it'll be cool. And uh, he's like, yeah, yeah, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. So then a couple of years goes by. And I'm like, you going to do it? He's like, yeah, yeah, I'm going to do it. And I kept pushing him. Finally, I'm like, let's just do it. Here, I'll help you do it. So okay. I've been working on that with him. It's, uh, it's pretty much all him. Just help with like i'll say the computer stuff yeah but uh you know i just push him i'll tell you that but uh yeah every i don't know if you've seen the the last the latest stuff that he's come out with it's pretty sick is he on got instagram or where can people find him yeah uh, he's got uh i think it's slamuels 130 is his instagram okay and then he has the uh slr honda team yep which is running fly gear and then he got the slam life uh, Instagram as well, okay. but uh, most of it takes a lot of traffic. A lot of the traffic is done through his personal social media, and uh, the, the stuff he's coming up with, the designs he's doing now are really rad. And the shirts, the quality of the shirts is really good too. So it's like it's cool. The transition from when we first started was like, yeah, you, know, you got cotton, and now we're using like high end polyester um, and whatnot. And colors, yeah, the shirts are super nice. You can wash them multiple times, and they look good. And he's out, and that's, and that's and that's doing really well for him too. Okay, and I kind of go back to full circle. Is he the same? He's the one that's really close with Dean too, right? Exactly. Okay. Yeah. yeah that's so what I thought. They've, been, they've been boys for a long time. Yeah. So, like, well, if, if Dean and I beef beef at all, like Mark will hear about it, and then Mark will call me and start laughing, go, hey, "Where are you, Dean?" You know, that's or you know, or vice versa. Yeah. So it's funny. There's nothing, nothing, uh, Kept secret. gets untouched between the, yeah. yeah, there's no secrets between the three of us. It's pretty funny. So is he, is he the one that connected you and Dean or, or how'd that work? No, it's wild. Cause so Dean was at pro circuit when I was there. Okay. And then Dean was also friends with Dakota Tatter. So I mean, yep. I've always known Dean. I've always talked to him. I've, I've talked to his dad and many times at the races because the pro circuit was always pitted next to team Tatter. So we were always around each other. We even, they would do starts together or they would do motos together because they both lived in California. So we've known each other for years. And he was at uh, Husky when I was there. And I was just doing parts because after I worked for Porcel, I went and did the parts position. And I didn't have a rider. So I was pretty much just helping out here and there at the shop, with, you know, or I'm at the races helping out here and there filming with Murph or, you know, run up here and grab that. You don't do much when you're the – um, at the races as a parts guy. I like to stay out of people's way because I don't like people in my way when I'm working on a bike. So, right. um, you know, put some gas in there, go grab a muffler or grab a clutch, you know, here and there. But most of the time I just stay out of the way because I think it's best to do the left hands you get in there on the motorcycle. On a, when not, when you're not under a fire drill, the better. Okay, for sure. Um, so yeah, we do each other. And then when they decided to keep Dean, 
when he was replacing Jason, they're like, hey, well, um, since you're, you're a mechanic, obviously, you're going to work for Dean and and do parts. So I'm like, oh, okay, cool. So then we did that and uh, started off really fun. I was picking him up on the way to the track every day, kind of old school in it. Okay. Um, I'd pick him up at his house. We'd drive to the track together. We'd practice because this was after an injury. So it was just the two of us practicing during the week. So we did that for like two months. That was a lot of fun. Got to know each other really well. And then showed up at Red Bud, and he was fucking fast again, and it was awesome. And then pretty much I was like, I might as well keep doing this. So here we are again after, you know, even last year, I was like, let's keep it rolling. You know, you don't cover, you don't, not many times you get an opportunity to, let alone work for a factory team, but also get a, factory rider who's capable of winning races and podiuming every weekend that's that's really rare yeah you know because that was something my wife was like you know you're you're we'd love to have you at home and i'm like well i got this opportunity right now to to do what a, a lot a of people dream, dream of doing yeah a lifelong dream lifelong yeah. dream I, I almost like i kind of just let it go after a while I was like you know i don't want to like keep chasing this you know getting like a podium 450 guy I'm like if it happens it happens you know organically and it just kind of just and that's how it went down it was organic and I got it and that's what I'm doing now I'm enjoying it and he's he's funny as hell yeah. his kid's got a tongue on him his dad's funnier and shit too yep so mom's super nice Sarah's great and we get along great and then yeah. he just goes to the races dude works hard he yeah, works so like he goddamn hard. Vi- he got good vibes around him, and I think twenty one will be the biggest. The biggest thing for him will be just staying healthy, and that's with any rider. But I think if everything falls yeah, in place for him, he'll, whole, he'll be good. Yeah, that's the whole class. You got to stay alive in the four fifty class. It's 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 tough. Also, yeah. because a lot of people don't like understand the difference between a lights guy and a four fifty guys. Like, if you've ever ridden one of each back to back you'll have a more appreciation for somebody who goes fast on a 450 because the 250, dude, that's a better bike. It's easier it's to easier ride. To ride. Sure. It's, yeah. It's like, like a factory one, like a factory level 250. Those things are, they're pissed off. They are faster than hell. They're light. They stop, they turn, they do everything. They are like, they're like superhuman. You get on a 450. Okay. Now it's got a ton of horsepower. It's heavy. It doesn't want to turn. It doesn't want to stop, and when you gas it, it doesn't necessarily want to accelerate immediately because it's heavy, so the wheels spin. So, like, it's it's hard for those guys to do what they do, and I got a lot of appreciation for it. It's, it's like when you see them going that fast on that bike, it's fucking amazing. Yeah. And then to stay alive because that 450 track main event is so beat up, like their suspension. Like a lights guy can run a bike with terrible suspension as long as it's stiff enough to hold up in the rhythms and get across the loops for 15 minutes. He's going to be fine. 450 guy, that thing's got to go for 20 minutes on a track that deteriorates super fast, starts off okay, and then by the end of the night, you're jumping through the whoops. There's kickers on the lips of all the jumps. The ruts are super deep. You're dragging pegs. It's gnarly. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, if if nobody's had a chance to rock a supercross track after a main event, it will blow your mind. Like, it's, it's not even funny how dangerous it is. No. No, the other day a team was like sent me a video and he's like, "Oh, this is two tenths off a coupe," and I was like, "Oh man, looks like he could have gone faster through that section over there." And he's like, "Dude, it's rutted up. 
the whole way through, and I was like, all right, yeah, sorry, I didn't see that. Because yeah. I can't see it in the video. Right. You're like, I'm like, all right, yeah, understood. Well, yeah, exactly. Like, I'm like, all right. Yeah, that's like A1, and last year or two years ago, when he was quadding that one rhythm, and it's like so gnarly. Like, I don't think those... You know what I mean? It's like these guys build the tracks and they're trying to build it to where it slows these 450s down, but they're so fast. And then they go triple, quad, quad, and you're like, well, shit, that didn't work out how we planned. No, he'll, he jumps he jumps stuff before anybody, too. We'll yeah, be at the track. They'll be riding there for three days. He shows up, and then all of a sudden he just jumps up, and everybody's just like, what the fuck? How did you do it? Like, Mike, what, what were you thinking? Yeah, just feeling it. I'm feeling it, Damon. Yeah, he's like, I think I can quad that. I'm like, all right. <laughs> Have fun, bro. I'm out. All right. Yeah, I'm like, I fucking bet you can. <laughs> God, that'd just be so nerve-wracking for me. I know, like, when I had a rider and it's just, you know, we're we're just trying to get into the show and I'm watching him in practice trying to set a fast lap. I'm like, holy shit. Like, dude, I'm like, just get to this lap safe, please. Like, don't die. So, <laughs> it's, it's tough. It's a lot of pressure for sure. Um so before I let you go, it's uh, man, this has been a fun show. Again, I can't thank you for the time, and it's been a really, um, really interesting episode. And I'll have one more question for you, and then I'll let you get back to your email yeah, let and let you start your work week. But for me, I've I've kind of always wondered. You know, I work in the as a rep, and I always have new dealers, new parts managers, and all that. And it's always hard to adapt and figure those personalities out and manage those personalities. So for you over the years, what's it been like trying to? you know, manage those riders and, and build those relationships, you know, with different riders. Cause everybody's different. Nobody's the same. So how do you, uh, accommodate that and, and kind of adapt? Well, I could tell you that I'm definitely better at it now than I used to be because I think, I mean, in the earlier days, you can easily get stuck with just wanting to win so bad that maybe sometimes you might push somebody the too hard or, push them in the wrong way and I think it's also it's really hard to put the right mechanic with the with the right rider like as far as when they gel you know um I can't sit here and tell you I'm a master of it by any means um I I all I can say is I try I even even with Dean I mean there's some days where I mean I just gotta shut my fucking mouth you know, that's just, that's my job that day. I don't need to say anything. It's, he's, he'll tell me, hey, dude, no writing tips today. I right. wanted to figure this out on my own. Yeah, and I think that um, comes with, like you said, in the 20s when you're partnering and then now getting close to 40, the maturity level changes. It's a lot, it's pretty crazy what you can learn over 20 years. It's, I can only imagine the maturity and like how you say, you learn that, that, that moment where you just need to be like, all right, I'm not talking. Let them just take it all in and it's a new day tomorrow. Yeah, you're, sometimes you see him, they're having a tough day. You just don't say anything. I mean, there was one day he, he came off the track and everybody else around him was just hounding him. And he looked at me and he looked and at the end of the day, he was like, he's always waiting for you to say something. And I was like, he wasn't going to do it. Yeah. We're like 20 <laughs> yeah. years ago. You'd be like, dude, what the fuck's your problem? Like, why, why, are oh, you not doing, yeah. why are you not doing that? Like this guy's like, Jason's doing it. Why aren't you doing it? And then that just, oh, that, that just breaks him down. Oh, it makes it even worse. Um, yeah. I just, I've even caught my, sometimes I'm like, whoop, like nothing, like what? I'm like, nothing. I'm like, nothing, dude. Nothing. Yeah. Don't even, don't even trip. Like, yeah. you're good. You're doing great. And he is doing great. He's doing awesome. And I know what, what I think is cool about him is he really takes it upon himself to go faster. He doesn't want people's help. He wants to watch his video 
He wants to figure out how he's going to go faster. He really wants to do it on his own. He doesn't want to depend on anybody. So he's very determined in that way, and I respect the hell out of that because it's awesome. Yeah, I mean, that just that shows adversity, too, when you can just you know, put the bad days behind you and work on the good days. And what that guy's gone through and to be still a podium contender, it's it's mind-blowing. It just shows you how talented he is for sure. Fuck, he's got a lot of heart, dude. I'd hate to get in a fight with anybody and scratch the shit out of you. Yeah, that dude seems like he'd Muhammad Ali the fuck out of you for sure. Yeah. Um, but man, like I said, thank you for the time. I could talk to you for hours on hours. It's, I love this sport. Oh, yeah. And I know you do too. And there's just so much over the course of 15 years that you can, I mean, who knows? Like I said, a, a book would be amazing or a biography of our sport would be amazing. But I know Feld would never oh, yeah. help it happen. But it's just like I said, I could talk to you for hours and, and I really appreciate the time. And thank you to our sponsors Motion Pro, Spot Network TV, Bell Ray, Scott Goggles, and of course, Works Connection. Hey, uh, speaking of uh, Motion Pro, what's your favorite tool? I know you got to have a Motion Pro favorite tool. What is it? Let's see. So, of the Motion Pro tools, my favorite one, I got two. I got my tire pressure gauge. Yeah, oh, yeah. Dude, That's a must. I use that. Fuck, I got to have it. I use that thing a lot. They got a digital one that lights up. Yep. Not that we work in the dark, but it makes for a difference. some people, it makes if you're a, If you're a privateer working out of the back of a van at night, you know, before a night show, or, um, you know, anything more in the dark, it, it, it makes a difference. And I use, I, that's one of my favorite tools are there. And they actually got a new, like a spanner that they make. The T-handle spanner uh, one? No, it, it looks like a fork. It's, it's like for a fork cap. Okay. It, it's got a three eighths drive. It's a spanner. You can like undo fork caps with it. It's pretty damn cool. If you're working on like, say an old, like a KX, you could, hold one end of the camshaft and then take the decomp bolt out with it. I forget what it's called, but it's a spanner. Okay. Yeah. They got, like they got some cool stuff. Thing. That digital gauge with the, yeah. the new air truck is, is a must have in every toolbox. If you, if you guys don't have that, make sure to check out motionpro.com. It's uh the new air pressure gauge is amazing. They got stuff from suspension to T handles to uh, bearing removal tools to U joint presses. I mean, they got everything. So check them out. Motionpro.com, worksconnection.com, sport, Scott Sports USA, and Bell Ray. So again, thanks to you, those guys. And, and if you haven't done yet, make sure to go download the Spot Network app. We're he- thankful without those guys, we wouldn't, this show wouldn't be possible. And without those guys, we wouldn't have Damon on. So huge thanks again to Spot Network. And that's a wrap, man. Again, I thank you for the time. Is there anybody you want to thank or anybody you want to um, say hi to before I let you go? Yeah, I want to thank my wife, Amity, and my son, Wyatt, for letting me uh, continue to do what I do because – and uh, I also want to thank her family because they help out a lot when I'm gone, and it makes it, and they're enabling me to go out and do what I love to do. It's a true passion. Um, if I didn't love it, I wouldn't keep doing it because I do spend a lot of time away from my family, but um, I'm having a lot of fun right now. I'm on a great team, doing a great job. I want to thank everybody on my team that I work with. We get along great. We have a good time. We work hard together. We play hard together. And um, I'll have everybody go check out motopartstrader.com, slamlife.com. And then, uh, Justin, thank you for having me on. had a hell of a time. Yeah, no, thank you. Again, also take, check out Damon's Instagram, motopartstrader on Instagram. I'm at Triple J on Instagram. And that's a wrap, guys. Thank you so much. Episode 9 is now in the archive. So, again, check it out, guys, on uh, all your platforms, and we're out. Peace. Peace.